everything you do in book marketing should be considered an experiment that you're gathering data on and learning from for next time. DigitalMarketingRadio.com, the big interview with David Bain. Can you really make a living writing? How and where is it worthwhile publishing ebooks? And what's an effective promotional cycle once you publish an ebook? Those are just three of the questions that I intend to ask our special guest today, Carol Tice. Carol, welcome to DMR. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Um, Carol is a long time freelance business writer who now helps writers earn more through her Make a Living Writing blog, which is listed in the 2014 Writer's Digest 101 Best Websites for Writers. She's also author or co-author of two print business books and five ebooks for writers. So Carol, can you really make a living writing? Um, as a freelance writer? Yeah, absolutely. There's so much opportunity out there and only going to be more in the future. Um, you know, what happened in the downturn was a lot of companies, down, you know, got rid of staff and they started using more freelancers for all kinds of creative tasks and they learned that they loved it and it worked out great. And every study they do of major corporations that asks them, you know, how they feel about working with contract staff, will they do more in the future? Everybody says, yeah, yeah we're going to keep, we're going to do more and more of it. It saves them money. Freelancers get to live flexible lives. Um, yes, there's collapse in the magazine sector and a lot of change going on, but a lot of that is moving online. And um, there's a ton of good opportunity there. I work with a lot of writers who are doing a lot of um, blogging for businesses for some pretty nice money. Companies are not going to stop needing to market themselves. And more and more, they're looking to freelance. You know, the trick is to stay off of the Craigslist ads and elances of the world and proactively find better quality clients. You kind of have to stay out of the sort of race to the bottom, bottom feeding uh, world of, you know, please write this for me for $5. But plenty of people have already tried out that world and figured out that they're not going to be able to actually market their business successfully using this, using somebody in the Philippines uh, who's barely literate in English or in India or somewhere. There's a ton of, there's a ton of work out there. So you're not concerned about um, too many businesses wanting to outsource. Uh, you think there's um, a decent enough uh, chunk of companies who are going to be staying um, and, and, and wanting good quality writers in English based in the, the, in the States or the UK, based in a country that obviously has English as their first language. Or Canada, Australia, no. New Zealand, <laughs> indeed, Ireland, indeed. Where, wherever, yeah. Or it, really, it's not even about the country you're from, but your fluency in written English and you know I think it's super hard to write in a second language really fluently enough to earn a living at it you might do it well enough to write a letter to somebody but you know we're talking about asking people to pay you for this and the thing is that we're at the point in sort of the development of the internet and global outsourcing where a lot of people have now had the opportunity to try outsourcing it on Fiverr, you know, for the less, mm. the least money they can imagine. And they've seen that there's a lot of problems, that they don't get a good result. And then they try and talk to that contractor and the contractor can't understand them and they can't get a result. And then they have to start over and time is wasted. And, and there's lots and lots of companies that just aren't going to mess with that whole 
process. The other big shift that's happened is that we had sort of a new niche in writing arise about a decade ago with content mills, and their era is kind of sunsetting now. There was a moment in time where you could stuff a bunch of slap-together junk content uh, that people wrote in five minutes onto a website and put a bunch of ads around it, and that would be a business model that would work. You know, the e-house of the world would draw people and people would click on ads and buy things and they would make lots of money. And if you follow the stock of uh, Demand Studios, parent company Demand Media, the way I do, you know that this era is over. There just isn't revenue. Google, you know, got all kinds of complaints about these junk results and they learned to get them ri- get rid of them, to screen them out of results and traffic at these kind of sites is plummeting, revenue is plummeting. It's just kind of over. So that was sort of a niche where people who were maybe semi-literate could work, but it's kind of going away. And everyone, and the way you know Google penalizes duplicate content, well, there are a million companies that used to take product descriptions that a manufacturer sent them and stick them on their website and have the exact same language as everyone else who sold that product, well, they can't do that anymore. So, you know, changes in with Google are driving the direction towards real quality writing and something really unique and fresh. And otherwise, it's not going to get any eyeballs. It's not going to find people customers. It's not going to find a magazine readers. And that just means tons of opportunity for, for good writers. So, you know, I'm very high on it. Excellent. And that can only be good news for all concerned, certainly. Because um, I, I certainly remember the periods probably 10 to 7 years ago or so where, as you said, you can you could just slap anything online and you could get pages to rank very, very easily in Google. And, and that created probably thousands of millionaires overnight, certainly with the advent, advent of Google AdSense as well. But thankfully, um, as you said, it looks like um, the time of those type of sites um, are on the wane and um, quality content rules. So in terms of content for web pages, um, do you advise on any particular word count or, or, or structure to actually um, keep visitors sticky and engaged on web pages at all? It's kind of funny you ask that because, you know, being a writer, I used to be, I, I started out as a fan of nice long pages and I have lots to say, you know. Um, and then I got a client that was a really big global insurance consultancy and they had a rule that no more than 250 words could ever go on any of their web pages. <laughs> they had a huge website, hundreds and hundreds of pages of content. And at first, I was just, I felt handcuffed. I was just like, what? Only, but? And, and they were like, you got more to say? Create subpages and, you know, have a theme for that one. You know, take each of those side points, put them on a page of their own because people don't scroll down and people want it to be concise. And after a couple of years of working for them, I became a total convert to their philosophy. You really want to, keep things short if you can. Because especially if you're a freelance writer, you know, writing for your own sites, the thing is one of the big reasons that businesses hire writers is because they're having trouble summing it up. They know way too much about their business. And when they try and talk about it, it just goes on for miles. And they need somebody who can cut that down to what's important. And so the more concisely you write, the more you show that you have that skill. 
which I just think is uh, really one of the big things in writing web content. And um, this skill it seems to be learned, self-learned, rather than actually taught anywhere at all. Do you, do you see a future where this kind of writing is taught in institutions and in colleges anywhere at all, or has it really got to be self-learned? Um, well, it is pretty self-taught these days, but uh, hopefully institutions will catch up mm. and, you know, there'll be a decent web development. I have to say, you know, I don't know where it's happening right now. And most of the people I know, yeah, are probably learning from coaches online or, you know, are learning in informal settings about how to do it. It's it's quite sad in a way. I mean, I was talking to someone um, the other day um, who has a master's in marketing um, they qualified in 2012, so that's two years ago at the time time of um, discussion. But they didn't learn anything to do with digital marketing at all as part of their master's degree. Wow. And um, <laughs> that <laughs> apparently is one of the better um, universities. So it's um, they have to catch up um, with regards to what's happening now and what works now, certainly. I would imagine yeah. the way they go about structuring their courses and um, they have to do a lot of research into how to put the course together and mm-hmm. the challenge with that is obviously the goalposts quite often change online so perhaps they, they, they can't deal with that in their current systems. Yeah well you know I'd say working as I do with hundreds and hundreds of writers um, I have a writer community with 1300 members called Freelance Writers Den and the big thing we see isn't a question of is the copy too long? But the big problem of the internet is anonymity. It feels anonymous by definition. I'm not not in person with you. I'm not meeting you. And the trick is to speak in, in the sort of voice of that company culture in a way that people who visit get that company and get that they're human and authentic and passionate about what they do and capturing that flavor, sort of that writing style so that you're sort of doing that ventriloquism of speaking in the voice of the company culture. That's the tough part. And I watch writers write copy and write letters of introduction to try and get gigs. And it all sounds like robots talking. You know, it's like, I could write white papers for you, you know, and you that's not going to get you any gigs. You have to write like they talk. And a lot of companies you know, formality is a um, a fading ideal in a lot of companies. A lot of companies have sassy, snappy, young, snarky tones of voice that they talk in. And um, you have to sound like that. You know, I personally use MailChimp for email marketing, and I'm always uh, fascinated by their company culture, which is very playful and funny. Um, you know, they have a monkey as the logo. And, like, if something goes wrong, they'll send you an email that, like, says, Eep! <laughs> Something bad happened, you know. Uh, um, you just couldn't imagine this, you know, 50 or 60 years ago being something a company would send you. And, but that's how it works now. And writers need a sense of the importance of style and word choice. People tend to be lazy and just kind of put something together. And, and that isn't how you make a lot of money. You make a lot of money by being able to sound like your client needs to sound to connect with their customers. And talking about making a lot of money, um, in an email um, prior to our conversation, um, you mentioned that um, you make several thousand in the opening weeks before you actually publish a book on Amazon. 
Yeah. Um, so I have sort of a long checkered history with ebooks. I, uh, when I started, my whole vision when I started my blog in 2008 was that I would concoct one large and amazing ebook that would convey, you know, everything I knew about freelance writing, and I would just make bazillions off that and retire. And obviously, I didn't know anything about ebooks and how they work or, or anything, because people do not want war and peace in an ebook. Ebooks are short and People like them to be priced low, and Amazon has done a lot to sort of promote that ideal of the you know five dollar nine dollar uh, ebook being an appropriate price for an ebook. So I made a lot of mistakes on my first one. It was huge. It was thirty six dollars. Not a lot happened with it until I cut the price in half when I decided I was going to retire the book and, you know, redo it and split it into three smaller ebooks because I was catching on mm-hmm. to what sells better. And I sold more in like that week that I closed out the book than I had sold in the previous three years of having the ebook. And so a little light bulb went on and I started looking at my materials and thinking about what I could turn into some inexpensive, useful ebooks. And that's the other big thing I learned is that the secret of ebook selling is have more than one ebook. Everybody who's really cranking at ebooks has many ebooks. They don't have one, you know, because it's all about building that audience. You have the readers of the first ebook, and then you tell them the second ebook is out. Then you have two re- sets of readers, and you tell all of them the third one is out, and so on. And so each ebook sale you make gets easier, and the audience gets bigger, and, you know, life gets more beautiful. And so what we did is I have a series of four week boot camps that. I've put on as live trainings in my freelance writer's den community. And we started looking at the idea of turning those transcripts into ebooks. And it was harder than we thought. <laughs> um, you know, my initial thought was like, wow, transcripts, we'll just sort of clean up the ums and ahs. It'll take a, an hour and zap an ebook. And I tried that and I put it out to some beta readers in my community and they said, you don't want to do this. This is like junky and hard to wade through and this is not reflective of your brand. So we really went back in and edited the daylights out of these transcripts. We really found that there's a big difference between a transcript and something that's you're buying as an ebook and want to read. And at this point, I actually have one person who does an initial run through it and then I edit it and then any other co-authors also look through it then my designer looks through it. So it goes through about four sets of eyeballs as we uh, boil it down and boil it down and, you know, cut out duplications and cut out questions that were silly and, you know, just really um, kind of do the, it's like clarifying butter or something. Mm. You know, we're really boiling it and boiling and, you know, skimming off all the junk until it's really like we wrote it like a book. Um, so and it, I know there's a lot of people out there who are like, oh, just repurpose whatever you've got lying around. Um, in my experience, yeah, you can do that, and I am doing that, but it it's still work. It's not instantaneous, uh, great ebook that's going to sell real well. But so, you know, in the past, I had sort of not really had a pro designer. I hadn't really invested in in it, and I decided to really get serious, and I now spend about $1,000 on each of my ebooks, you know, they have real cover designs and real layouts. They're produced in InDesign and designed so that they're going to work on any device and in three formats and 
And you really need all of that. But, and yeah, so the thing I had gotten curious about was uh, my first, very first ebook was actually a PDF that I just sold off my site. So obviously that really limited my customers. Um, and then I had done a really quickie, really short, like 99 cent ebook with a teaching partner of mine that we put up on Amazon only and did the, you know, approach where you only put things on Amazon and then you can get the higher royalties and Amazon, you know, likes you more, promotes you more. And we were real crazy about how it went. You know, we gave away a bunch of copies. We did everything right. We got reviews. And, you know, it didn't sell tons. And I sort of went, ha, huh, after that. And what I thought is, you know, I have a list. At this point, I have about 15,000 people on a couple of different lists of mine. So I'm not, I'm nobody's, you know, enormous million subscriber blogger. But I have a modest-sized list. I'm sort of a successful niche, you know, tiny niche blogger. And I thought, you know, what I want to try is to sell to my own audience first on my own site and keep all the money. And after everyone I know already has bought the ebook, I'll put it on Amazon. And then I'll have plenty of people who can leave reviews because people, hundreds of people will have already read it. And, you know, I'll let Amazon drive other readers who maybe I don't know. So when you just um, delivered it on your own site, was that just via PDF or another format no. as well? No. No. So we create all of the eBooks in a bundle. When you buy it, you get a PDF, a Mobi file, and an iBooks file. So whatever device you got, you know, whatever way you want to read it, it should work for you. So you can put it on the Kindle, you can read it in iBooks, you know, whatever. And um, and that was really key. I did get a lot of questions from people who were like, but I don't have a Kindle. It's okay. There's a PDF, you know. But I like iBooks. Okay, we got that. So, I, you know, the problem with publishing, with going through uh, Amazon's process and publishing solely with them is you don't have a file. They have a file. Mm. Also, you don't have emails of the people who bought. Amazon does. So that poses a marketing problem for you for the future. So instead, yeah, I worked my own list and I have a process that I'm pretty happy with that I'm running where I start by offering it to my people for half price for about a week. And usually within, well within that week, I'll break even on my production costs. So it's all gravy, you know, from there. There's a lot of interest Basically, I'm taking a boot camp that originally non-members paid $200 to take, and I'm giving it to people for $5. So obviously, that's a great value. It sells really well. Then I put it to its regular price of $9.99, but I put a bonus ebook in. You know, now I know you're sad. You didn't get it for $5, but I got another deal for you. You know, if you buy book A now, you will get book B also thrown in. And that drives some more sales. And then... It just goes to its regular price because, you know, you have to be the same price as Amazon. I run all these promos before. And then when we're ready to put it on Amazon, it goes to its regular price, which for these, these are about 100-page ebooks um, that each come with a workbook you can print out and take notes in and stuff. So then they go to $9.99 on Amazon and on my site. And then I'm kind of done – aggressively marketing that book until next time <laughs> when I, you know, and I'm trying to put these out about every couple of months. So then I've got the next ebook and 
I can email all the people who bought the first ebook and say, hey, there's another ebook. And I've actually been blown away by the amount of repeat sales that I get. Really surprised me. You know, I use MacMail where you can see where they group emails from people. So it like lines up all of the purchases. And I just see at this point with the, you know, four or five ebooks out, uh, I see a lot of people who have bought all of them who have bought them and then bought a class from me for $47 for the big thing I learned is that, you know, these low priced eBooks, if people are fantasizing about like making a, a, a fortune off low, low priced eBooks, I mean, maybe you will, but I think for the vast majority of us, um, the idea is that cheap eBooks are the gateway drug mm. <laughs> that are an initial purchase by someone that will hopefully you know, show them the quality of what you've got and lead them to buy more and more expensive products from you. So, you know, when I look through these multiple sale people, I see people buying a $5 ebook and then buying a $10 ebook and then buying a $47 class or a $97 class or, you know, or they join my community and might end up spending hundreds, you know, staying in there for a year. Or um, there are also people who come in and I'll buy all four of them at a blow. Just they buy everything I got. So, you know, the more items you have, the more flexibility you have, obviously, to create special offers, to use them as bonuses. You know, they become really um, multi-useful tools. So an ebook is really part of a, an intelligent marketing funnel. What, what would you say is the most popular format of books that you actually sell? I don't know because I sell them all in a bundle. So I guess I, I don't know which, you know, they just take a zip file and run with it. That'd be interesting for me to take a poll on and find out wow. if, um, if more all of my people are secretly on the Kindle or, you know, they all read it on their computer or what. I don't really know. I'm just trying to provide it for however people want to have it. Well, that certainly seems to be great for your customer service and and, and people coming back. So even if they're not necessarily going to use all, all formats perhaps they're thinking mm-hmm. well I might have this other device at some point in the future so it'll be useful to know that um, I'm future compatible as well yeah exactly I don't know but you know overall uh, having them really professionally done with really sharp covers where they're formatted you know people don't realize that what's happening is people are taking that they're getting on their phone to read it and then they're changing the font of it they're changing the typeface of it they're changing the color of it and then they're going to read it and it still has to look good so you know i just think sort of slapping them together um doesn't work that well but oh i know what i went to say is um you know i'm proud to say that of all the ebooks i've sold and I think we were looking at about 3,000 copies or something, 4,000 copies at this point. Uh, I have had one person say I couldn't open a, I couldn't open any of the files and I want a refund. Wow. So we're assuming it's user error there because <laughs> <laughs> nobody else had a problem. So, so um, you're obviously having your strategy in terms of um, giving out quality, mirroring the way that you think about writing and quality writing. Um, so that's excellent, and, and, and your customers obviously understand that. Um, what about um, Amazon strategy? Do you ever take advantage of giving your books away for free on Amazon in order to actually drive more reviews on Amazon and hopefully more sales after that as well? No, I did that. I did that with my first 
Kindle ebook, which was um, 13 ways to get the writing done faster. And I, we were pretty unimpressed. Um, you know, I think it's sort of a crapshoot. It, it might pay off for you, but increasingly the sense I, I have, and I've heard this many places as well, is that 99 cents is the new free that uh, people see increasingly less value mm. in the freebie giveaways. I actually do a lot of free giveaways, but I do them myself. Um, and I do them to freelance writers' den members as a member bonus. And so I know right where those people are. Those are like my loyalist fans. And they're the people who are most likely to leave reviews because what people don't realize is you're going to give it away free to 100 people. And then you're going to, if you do that on Amazon, how are you going to get those people to give reviews? They will or they won't, but you don't have any way to nag them about it because you don't have their emails. So I don't do that anymore. I give them away to people I know <laughs> whose emails I can capture and then I can ask them and I can sell them the next ebook. So uh, that's just working better for me. But everyone I know who's ha- who's like all in on Amazon, where they're they're only on Amazon, uh, they say they're doing ninety nine cent promotions rather than free. You know, the thing is, I think you want to get people used to buying things from you from the start. And ninety nine cents is a pretty darn low price point. But you've qualified a buyer. Now you have a buyer, not a freebie seeker. You know, and I think that's who you want. And most of the people I know are are focused on that at this point on, you know, 90, 99 cents is a great giveaway price. And, you know, yes, I have that 99 cent ebook and often I will give that away for free too. But I'm actually this week going to do a survey for a boot camp I have coming up. So I'm going to give people a free ebook if they take my survey, you know. And this is the power of ebooks is that um, they're not just income, but they can motivate people to help you develop other products, to buy offers because you throw them in as an extra. It adds more value to a class you're teaching, you know, so they have so many uses once you've got them. It's it's certainly an, an important train of thought that, that it's much better for you to have a hundred people paying 99 cents for something than a thousand people perhaps paying nothing. Because the quality of the individual, as you say, they're a lot more likely to, to go on and spend something else with you in the future and become a lifelong customer. Yeah, you've gotten them in the habit of buying. You know, that's who I want. I want people who actually need to buy things to help them. They want the shortcuts. They are willing to spend a little money to save themselves time to get the hang of how to drive a real income as a freelance writer sooner. That's just super valuable, you know, because people are going to run out of money and go broke and have to get a day job. And, um, you know, uh, they want to avoid that. They, they're going to hit the wall and it's not going to work. So uh, so they want to, they need to take action and make this work while they still have time. You know, that's what I'm looking for. But the, And the thrill of having many ebooks, of course, is, uh, you know, you'll never go hungry again because if you feel poor, you can just put one of them on sale. Uh, and mm-hmm. send out an email. I mean, if you have a list, if you've been building an audience, which the big mistake most people make with ebooks is they write one and then they seek to build an audience. And that isn't that you're doing things in the wrong order when you do that. First, you build an audience, then you ask them what they need that they would pay for, then you create that thing and then you sell it to them. That is the correct order where life is easy. But nobody wants to do that order. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they all want to write about whatever they want to write about. And then they start scratching their heads going, gee, how will I find an audience? I literally, I get these emails all the time. Ooh, I'm all excited. I just posted my 
first ebook on Amazon, and now I'm waiting for the big bucks to roll in. So far, nothing. That's I'm reading you an exact email that someone sent me. Um, people are sadly confused about the idea that if they you know push pu- publish on the Kindle platform, that now they're set for life. That you know Amazon is not going to magically deliver thousands of buyers to you. Um, you know, there is that moonshot where, oh, you get 100 reviews and it drives it way up their algorithm and then it just stays there and it sells. But really, 99% of the time, that's not going to happen for you. You need your own audience. And if you have your own audience and you're well connected with them and you understand what they want, then, you know, like I say, whenever you get poor, you know, I now have three of these 100-page ebooks. I just finished putting out the last one, which is the How to Get Great Freelance Clients. So I've never sold all three of them in a deal together yet. So whenever I get bored (laughs) and want to see how that goes, I'll put the three of them into a bundle sale and put a price on that and and experiment with that. I'd say that's the other secret is to experiment that, you know, everything you do in book marketing should be considered an experiment that you're gathering data on and learning from for next time. And and do you always um, survey people before actually publishing um, or b- before writing anything at all? Well, um, these came out of boot camps, which we usually do do surveys ahead of because we want to make sure we're covering, you know, what what are your questions about getting well-paid blogging gigs? What are your questions about breaking in from nothing and getting your first clips in your portfolio? Mm. Um, so usually they kind of have begun with, market research. And then that formed with the class and all of our classes have a lot of Q&A time. And then we actually include all the Q&A in the book. So all of those sort of questions we didn't get to are also answered in the book that our members raised. So, I mean, that should be everyone's focus who's writing nonfiction eBooks is to find out what your people need to know and put it in the eBook. That's that's how you sell. Um, you know, I, I think of the marketing cycle as please take my survey about X because I need to know what you what you your questions are about this. Here is the survey results. Next email. <laughs> uh, and I learned some interesting things. I'm putting the thing together about it. Next email. Here's that thing that it seemed like you guys needed because you had all these questions. You told me, you know, most of you never made more than $100 on your ebook or whatever. And now here is the thing. And then they buy it because it's they're invested in it. They've been hearing about it. And that's the other, you know, thing that happens is people don't do a lot of pre-selling. They're not talking about it. They're not posting, you know, hey, here's three different covers. Which one do you like the best? What's a better headline for this book? This or this? Um, you know, you need to be sort of sharing your process you know here's the table of contents what do you think is missing that's wonderful i mean it sounds to me like you're not even really pre-selling um obviously you are doing that but you're building a relationship and and that's what people have to feel they have to feel engaged with you as a person with you as a brand as well and if they feel that they feel involved and they're more likely obviously to make that purchase decision in the future yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, that sort of pre-selling is is completely non-salesy. It's more like I care about you and I'm trying to help you. So, you know, could you look at this? Tell me what you think about it. People love to, you know, be asked their opinion about stuff and I mean, it's all, you know, you're just hitting buttons people love. People love to, you know, have their say in things. They love to 
get to tell you which headline is better. And I mean, people are very opinionated. <laughs> and, you know, at the, at the end of it, they kind of know a lot about it. You know, one, one of the things that I've learned to do recently is write an email that's the story of why we created this. How did we first get the idea for it? Who did we talk to? What kind of research did we do? What did we find out? You know, how long did it take? Um, people love hearing that story of sort of how you're working behind the scenes to, to make something they need. Well, I'll tell you what, I know that um, this hasn't really been a conventional digital marketing conversation, but um, all of what you're saying can be applied in, in a digital marketing world because it's about conversations. It's about being involved with who your customer is and, and really understanding them and, and serving them as well. So everything you're saying applies to that. Um, so certainly if you're a digital marketer listening to this, then all the principles here can be applied in your businesses. And indeed, um, writing and ebook publishing can be involved within your attraction and initial stages of, of, of forming new customers in the future as well. So um, I see the utmost relevance in, in what you're saying to everything online. Yeah, and then you, you said you wanted to talk about, um, you know, how this plays out like in spaces like social media. And I've actually kind of changed how I do that just recently. I saw an interesting uh, training from Callan Rush who teaches people how to fill webinars. Um, but she had a whole Facebook strategy going and was – the big thing I've learned about, you know – being able to talk about the thing you want to sell in social media is that you want to precede it with free things. So like I'm about to sell a $200 boot camp that non-members have to, you know, pay that registration fee to get in. And we're going to do a cycle of about four pieces of free content ahead of it. Um, I'm putting out an email swipe file that shows how I sold one of my last eBooks, all the, all the emails I sent out at each of the, you know, kicking off the half price sale. Here's the end of the half price sale. Here's the bundle sale. Here's the end of the bundle sale. And um, we're going to publish our survey results. We're going to do a survey about our topic. Um, we're going to do a free webinar where I'm going to show why my first ebook was a failure and how you can learn from that. Um, so there'll be so all of those free things, the point of all those free things is that there are things you can talk about in social media without being a bad person. Because <laughs> mm, we all know you're not supposed to say, buy my thing on Facebook, on Twitter, in Google+. It's That's considered obnoxious. Mm. Um, so yeah, so that will give me an endless stream of, you know, hey, here's the replay of this free webinar. Go check it out. You know, that people will share like crazy. I'm just getting more and more into that. Personally, I love giving out free stuff. It's, I, I find it's incredibly bonding. People just love, love, love you for giving them really valuable stuff just as a as a freebie to just drive interest in something you have coming up. I just find people go wild for it. So and you can just blather about it in social media all day, you know. Oh my God, I added another free thing. Now there's also the you can see the results of my secret survey. I've daylighted all the results for you right here. I think by instincts you completely understand the absolute right way to do social marketing because um you wouldn't describe yourself as a digital marketing professional, but really you're um, you're above that to a certain degree in that um, you are a consumer professional. Um, you you understand people. Um, you understand what it takes to serve people and deliver what they're looking for. And and that's all what the best marketing does, really. 
Yeah, I guess that's where I'm based. You know, the thing is that I came out of journalism. Right. So before like 2010, I had never sold anything to anyone and considered it basically the dark side of the force. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, I wrote articles and other people sold those nasty ads and, you know, and never the twain shall meet. And of course, when I started my own blog, that all had to change and I had to learn about how to sell in a way that didn't make me want to throw up. I am just not a hard sell person. And actually, in some of my email cycles, uh, when I'm selling a product on the day, last day, like this morning is actually the last day of a sales cycle for me of a class I'm sunsetting. We're retiring the class. And I sent out a bunch of emails this morning. And often I'll put in those, you know, you may think that now I'm going to send you like three more emails today, like a lot of the big gurus do, you know, where they send 17, 20 emails in a marketing cycle. Mm. And I'll just say, I hate that. And I'm not going to do it. I don't care. They tell me it might sell a few more. I don't care. I'm not going to do it. I think you're smart. And if you need this, you're going to buy it now. And people <laughs> love it. People love it. That's great. So you're, you're not afraid of asking for the sale when the time comes? Well, I'm not, I'm not going to ask for it four times today, which is what all the gurus tell you. Oh, every one of those converts more people. Well, you know what? That's just not me. I'd say, you know, if I can give anybody any kind of takeaway is, you have to do marketing that you feel great about doing for it to be just successful. When you're doing stuff that makes you feel sleazy, that makes you feel like, oh, God, I hate doing this. You know, you shouldn't be doing it. You're doing it wrong for you and for your audience. So this is what works for me. I am not a hardcore salesperson. I don't want to be, and maybe I could be making twice what I'm making now if I was, but I don't care. I need to relate to my audience the way I feel comfortable. So, you know, I do the kind of email cycles I do. They're about a half or, a, you know, two-thirds the size of what a lot of other people would run. And, you know, I'm happy with how they do. I guess I feel like when you're sending those 17 emails, it's like you only care if they buy this thing. I guess I'm more in it for the long haul with my list. Like, if they don't need this thing, I'm fine with it. I want, I want them to not unsubscribe and stick around for the next 10 things I'm going to sell this year, hmm. you know, and see if they're for them. I'd rather do that than wring this sale out of them right now. So that's how I approach it. Wow. You know, I, I just think there's a lot of guru advice out there. Do it this way and that will be magic. And ultimately you have to take it all and then think about who you are and who your audience is and how you relate to them, what your relationship is with them and you know, how you want to be with them and what what feels comfortable to you and what doesn't. I think the more you do that, the more successful you end up being. Well, that's a th I think that's a wonderful number one takeaway. Um, just be yourself, be natural um, and do what you feel was right rather than what everyone else is telling you to do. Yeah, just, the you know, feel free to not jump on whatever the bandwagon is that everybody's telling you is the thing you got to <laughs> do. By the time they're all turning that into a class to teach you how to do that, it's it's probably time to do something else anyway, I'd say. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, there, there's so many other questions that I, I could ask you. I mean, things like <laughs> establishing brand voice, you know, how would you go about doing that if um, I was in a company and hadn't really got any clear brand identity? But I've got to respect your time and, you know, we, we've, we've talked for well over half an hour here. So um, if someone wanted to continue the conversation with you, what's the best way of getting in touch and, um, and doing that? Um, well, people can always... Uh, email me at carol at caroltice.com 
uh, you know, everybody else does. <laughs> and um, people are always emailing me saying, can I email you here? I'm like, everybody else does. Um, you know, the main place to kind of see what I'm doing and see all my free content is on my blog on www.makealivingwriting.com. Wonderful. Well, Carol, thank you so much for your time, your focus, and your willingness to give back. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been been uh, really, really fun, David. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today on Digital Marketing Radio. Remember, you can get every interview before it's published as a podcast, delivered as a weekly digital magazine, automatically to your tablet or smartphone. And that's for Apple or Android. Just go to digitalmarketingradio.com for links to where you can subscribe and join the rest of the Digital Marketing Radio posse. Catch you again soon. Digital Marketing Radio, Digital Marketing Radio.